Good morning, dear brothers and sisters. It is a true pleasure for me to be here this morning. And I just want to say on behalf of the, uh, the team of guys that will be preaching here over the next few months, we are so grateful for the opportunity to come to Palmyra, to be here with you in your church, sharing the word of God with you. It's a true blessing to us. And we're so glad to be able to bless you as well and to bless Pastor David so he can go on a sabbatical. So this is completely mutual, and we do trust. There's been a lot of prayer that's gone into this, and we trust that God is the orchestrator, and he is intending good for us this summer, good for all of us this summer. And Tony, you said we're in capable hands with me. That's really not true. (laughs) We're in capable hands with the Lord. Uh, He is the one who works through us all. Would you turn with me in your Bible to the book of 1 John? First John, chapter 1. I'm going to read the first four verses. First John, chapter 1. Verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. I begin with a big question. What is Christianity really all about? It's a titanic question to ask and answer in just one sermon. But I'm justified in asking such a huge question for this morning because the Apostle John is all about such huge questions. And because I believe in these four short verses that I just read, he answers this very question, what's Christianity all about? He tackles it, he answers it in the verses we just read. In a nutshell, of course, and the nut still has to be opened. And that's what the other brothers who follow me are going to do when they come here in the the weeks and the months to follow. They'll open up that nut and examine it. But here it is in a nutshell. This is what John is doing. This is what John does. He takes the vastness of the entire Bible, the vastness of history, the vastness of everything that's in the cosmos, and under the inspiration of the Spirit, John boils it all down to short 
simple, bite-sized truth. That's what John does. And so when you boil it down, this massive thing called Christianity, the, the faith in Jesus, what is it all about? What would you say if you had to answer it in a nutshell? Or perhaps it might be helpful to ask, what would others say? Kind of like how Jesus first said, who do men say that I am? What do other people say Christianity is? Brothers and sisters, we live in a time of great confusion over this question. There's incredible diversity, depending on who you ask. Conflicting views of what Christianity is and what it's all about. An overwhelming amount of information that you could try to work through. For many today, they would say Christianity is the religion of the oppressors. It was created by those people in power so that they could keep people under them, under them, and keep themselves in power. That's really what Christianity ultimately is. Others might say Christianity is an archaic, pre-scientific view of the world, Necessary, perhaps, at one time in our evolution, but no longer necessary, no longer useful. So we're, we've learned the lessons that it could give us, and now we can safely discard it. Others, perhaps more charitably, would say that Christianity is just one of the great religions of the world. And all the great religions of the world really are just like different blind men feeling that big elephant, feeling after the, the great mysterious unknown out there. And, and all the religions are basically touching the same thing, perhaps from a different angle, but they all really teach that we should love God and love our neighbor. That's really what Christianity ultimately is. It's just kind of the Western expression of that. Well, what is it, really? John wrote and he sent this letter of 1 John into a similar situation to ours today. In John's day, also, there was differing opinion about who Jesus is and what it means to be a Christian. There was conflict, and it was confusing. And so John needed to break it down. He needed to make it simple. He needed to guide the brothers and the sisters at that time in the truth of Christ. And we need him to do that for us today. Just take a moment and consider John's situation and its relevance for us today. Think about this. Maybe you have. When John wrote 1 John, he was an old man, most scholars believe. He probably wrote about 85 AD, 90 AD. Most of the other apostles were dead. John was an old man, and although he was part of the first generation of Christians who knew the Lord, saw the Lord, were present when he was resurrected, he's writing now this letter to the second generation of Christians. Most Christians who received the letter of 1 John were like us. They hadn't seen Jesus. They hadn't seen all the miracles that Jesus had done. They hadn't heard the teaching from Jesus' own mouth. Most of them probably hadn't met 
all the apostles. By the time John wrote this, Paul and Peter had been dead for quite some time. And so this letter comes to a setting that's much like our own today. And think about the book of Judges. It's a little bit like the book of Judges. You remember there was the generation that saw the works of the Lord. They knew the Lord's power. They had seen the miracles. And then you get into Judges chapter 3, and it says there was a generation that never knew the Lord. They didn't see the wars in Canaan. They didn't pass through the Red Sea. They didn't get fed by the manna in the desert. There was a generation that hadn't seen all those things. And when that generation took over from the last generation, they fell away. They went into idolatry. They forgot the Lord. They didn't know him. This is the same kind of setting. There's a baton that's being passed at this time. The question is, will it be dropped? Will the the baton be dropped from the first generation of Christians to the second, like in the book of Judges, it was dropped from Joshua's generation to the next? Is the history of the church going to play out just as the history of Israel? Or will God preserve his church in his truth, in the truth, in his word? That's the issue. This is John's assignment to pass the baton when he writes 1 John. And 1 John is an interesting book in the New Testament. Scholars puzzle over its what kind of book it is. Is it a letter? I mean, in one sense, it's a letter. He wrote it. He sent it to the churches. But it doesn't begin like a regular letter, does it? It doesn't say, John to the elect lady, Paul to the church at Philippi. It doesn't read like that. Is it a gospel? No. Is it a history? No. And here's my take on it. I think First John is a manifesto. It's John writing to make clear what faith in Jesus and being a Christian is all about so that the baton can be passed to the next generation. It's a manifesto to make plain and obvious what Christianity is all about, who Christians are and who they are not. He's writing at a time when people were breaking off from the churches. There was heresies creeping into the churches. There was confusion, and he helps them understand. We need this as well. So as we consider these first four verses, what does John say it's all about when he boils it down, before he opens up the net? I'd like to draw our attention this morning, brothers and sisters, to three things in this opening, in John's opening. These things build upon each other, and so we'll walk through them one at a time, and they will build on each other. But when taken together, these three things provide us with the answer to what Christianity is all about. So number one, taken from these first four verses, Christianity is about the witness of the apostles. That's my first point. Christianity is about the witness of, of the apostles. Look at verse 1 to 3. Do you see the witness language here? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. Verse 2. 
we have seen and testify and proclaim to you. And verse 3, what we have seen and what we have heard, we proclaim to you. John is emphasizing the fact that the proclamation that they're giving is something that they have seen and heard and touched. This language of witness is very important, and John is emphasizing it. So his manifesto of what Christianity is about begins with witness. Something real, something tangible, something very important has been manifested. We didn't see it. We won't see it, what they saw. But they saw and they proclaim to us. This is why Christianity is gospel. The word gospel means good news. Christianity is news being announced to us for our good. Really wonderful news, friends. But it is news. Something happened that the apostles saw and they are telling us about it. Something amazing has happened. The apostles are witnesses and they're proclaiming it in the world for the good of the world. Now, if you think about it, this is at odds, this understanding is at odds with the idea that Christianity is something that was just made up by some people in order to oppress, in order to maintain power. So this explodes a lot of the ideas people have about Christianity today. It's really just something that people have made up to keep the status quo. Not according to John. He's saying, no, it was something that happened, something that was manifested, that we saw and we touched, and we're telling you about it. That's what it is. And they turned the whole world upside down telling people about it. This also explodes that idea that Christianity is just one of the other, like all the religions in the world, just kind of people feeling their way into the, into the mystery of life. It's just a rational philosophy discovered by thinking. Just another attempt of humans to feel out after God and to describe the higher power. You know, that, that view of religion, which many people have, you know, you won't need that when you're suffocating under the weight of guilt. That's going to do you no good. If Christianity is just, you know another attempt at man to just figure this thing out on their own, it's not going to help you when you're suffocating under the weight of your guilt. It's not going to help you when you're burying your child. It's not going to help you when you're suffering an injury or a serious illness. It will do you no good. But what will do us good, you and me, is the news of what the apostles have to say. Something wonderful has happened. That does us good when we're suffering under the weight of guilt, when we're bearing our loved ones, when we're uncertain about the future. It's good news. Because Christianity is something that comes to us, brothers and sisters and friends. It's God reaching down to us and revealing himself acting on our behalf, sending into the world his word and his witnesses with good news.
This is why Christianity can never just be this fully scientific thing, as some people want to make it, as some Christians want to make it, or some fully philosophical thing. What it is is history. It's events, persons, witness, and trust in what's being reported. It concerns a realm of human experience and knowledge that the experiments of science and the rationalism of philosophy, they may assist us, but they really can't sufficiently account for it. We're in the realm of witness. And if we're going to be Christians, brothers and sisters, we must trust the apostolic witness that's recorded in Scripture and preserved in the church. That's what it means to be a Christian. It isn't enough that you've just considered the mountains. You've got to trust the witness that's been given. And if we are going to bring the gospel to others, we are also called to be witnesses as well. We can't pass the baton from our generation to the next generation without emphasizing the witness, without being witnesses ourselves. I see we're going to do the Lord's Supper. And do you remember what Jesus, what Paul said about that? He said, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is what it means to be a witness. Here we are in the 21st century repeating the Last Supper meal. You can't, put, you can't subject this to scientific analysis. This is more than just a reasoned philosophy. This is a declaration that 2,000 years ago, Jesus the man stood in a room and he took bread and he took wine and he broke it and he said, this is my body, this is my blood. The next day he died. Three days later, he rose again and we're remembering it and we're proclaiming it as his witnesses for the world and for the next generation. That's point number one. Christianity is about the witness of the apostles. Number two, the witness of the apostles is about Jesus. The witness of the apostles is about Jesus. Would you look with me again at this passage? What is it that the apostles heard and saw and touched and proclaimed? It's what they heard and saw and proclaimed that is the emphasis of this passage. Look at verse 1 and 2. What was from the beginning? Right at the beginning of the sentence, John starts with what? That which was from the beginning. That's the focus here. This gets the longest attention in these four verses. This is front-loaded right at the beginning. What did they see and what did they proclaim? John tells us it was the word of life. The word of life. Now that's kind of odd, isn't it? Maybe we can understand, I heard the word of life. Can track with you there, John. But we've seen with our eyes the word of life. We've looked at We've touched with our hands the word of life. So we're, get, we're moving into the realm of some strangeness here. This passage in 1 John 
is very similar, you've probably noticed, to the prologue of the Gospel of John. And in the prologue of the Gospel of John, the beginning of the Gospel, John says some very similar things. There he describes the word that was in the beginning with God, the word that was God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. And this is the word that reveals to us what God is like. This is the word that reveals to us the Father. In both places, in the prologue of the Gospel of John and here in 1 John, we have here the announcement that the eternal God has become temporal and tangible. The intangible, untouchable, has become touchable. The word has become flesh and spoken. The life which existed in God has appeared in concrete form in history. What an amazing claim. What an amazing witness. And of course we know what he's talking about is Jesus. I, I, I suppose I should say who he's talking about is Jesus. He's talking about the great mystery of the incarnation. And so what John is telling us that what is Christianity all about? Christianity is about the witness of the apostles to the incarnation of Christ, to the coming of the eternal word and very life of God, invisible, untouchable, eternal, into the world, in the person of Jesus Christ for our sakes. That's what it's all about. You don't want to miss this. Extra, extra read all about it. Really, really wonderful, important stuff. This is the what that the apostles proclaim, and what a what this is. It will be unpacked in the letter further. It's unpacked further in the Gospel of John. But here the emphasis is on the fact that what the apostles proclaimed is the coming of the word of life. And if you think about it, they're bearing witness to a witness. They're bearing witness to a word. Their words are bearing witness to a word because Jesus himself is a witness to the Father. The apostles are bearing witness of Jesus, who is a witness of the Father. God really likes witnesses. There's a chain of witnesses and a chain of revelation. The Father sent the Son into the world, and Jesus sent the apostles. If we receive the witness of the apostles, brothers and sisters, we are actually receiving the witness of Jesus. If we receive the witness of Jesus, we're actually receiving the witness of the Father. But the other side is also true. If you reject the preaching, the proclamation of the apostles, by that you are also rejecting Jesus. And if you reject Jesus... By rejecting him, you're rejecting God and the very life of God that's been given for us. 
So it's really serious what we do with the apostolic preaching because it reflects on what we actually ultimately do with God himself. You know, don't be fooled by people who say, I like God, I'm really into God, but I don't like this church stuff or this, you know, the apostles and their preaching, all this stuff about the cross of Jesus. No, I really think it's just about God and his mercy and loving God and loving others. Just keep it simple. But no, that's not what Christianity is. That's not what the Bible teaches. You cannot love God. You cannot know God. You cannot have relationship with God apart from Jesus. And you cannot love Jesus and know Jesus and have relationship with Jesus apart from the witness of the apostles. So their witness should be precious to us as they witness to him. So he's unpacking the answer fully. What is it in a nutshell? Christianity is the apostles' witness to Jesus Christ, the eternal and incarnate word, the revealer of the Father and the giver of life. If you want to know God, if you want to have eternal life, there's good news. You just have to listen. Number three, we've seen John show us that Christianity is about the witness of the apostles. The witness of the apostles is about Jesus and his coming into the world to bring us life. And here in nutshell, his third point is that the witness of Jesus is for the purpose of fellowship and joy. The witness of Jesus is for the purpose of fellowship and joy. A look at verse 3 and 4, and we see that John finishes the picture by touching on the purpose of the witness. Why are the apostles proclaiming what they're proclaiming? Look at verse 3 again with me, and 4. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be complete. Brothers and sisters, I want to underscore something here. This is magnificently warm magnificently warm what we learn from these two verses is that christianity this teaching about jesus this preaching about jesus this knowledge about jesus that's coming to us from the apostles it is intensely relational this is not just about information transfer this is not just about information transfer. This is not just about individual salvation. So perhaps some of us have fallen into that kind of thinking when we think about what's the Bible all about? What's Christianity all about? What's Jesus all about? Well, we know personal salvation is really important. And some of us maybe think, well, really, all it is about is how do I get saved? That's really what it's all about. That's a huge part of it, yes. 
But not according to John here. According to John, this preaching is coming to us for the purpose of fellowship and relationship and joy. And we might ask, with who? Fellowship with who? And he says right away, well, with other believers. And that's wonderful. And then he goes a little bit deeper, and he says in verse 3, you can have fellowship with us, and guess who we have fellowship with? We have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, in this little short passage, these four verses, this is the second time that we read the phrase, with the Father. In verse 3, John says, our fellowship is with the Father, but he actually used this phrase earlier in verse 2. And look again in verse 2. The life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So he's saying even before creation, There was life with the Father. Or as he says in the Gospel of John, there was the Word who was with God and who was God. There was an eternal fellowship. There is an eternal fellowship among the Father and the Son in the Trinity of God, that John is saying that fellowship and that life and that relationship, that knowledge, that beauty, that life that existed with God before he made everything, you can have that too, and I can have that too, and we can have that together. We can be brought into the perfect life, love, delight of the very life and joy of God himself. Now, doesn't that strike you as good news? Doesn't that strike you as good news? I mean, most people as they get older kind of start figuring out that life really is about relationship and it's really about fellowship. That's where joy is found, right? Most people start figuring that out. When you're young, you don't really realize that as well. Right? You think life is about having fun or it's about making lots of money or whatever. And you realize, no, God hardwired us for relationship, for community, for love, intimacy. And there's joy in that. And the reality is we are so broken. Life is really too short for us to go that deep with people. And we're too sinful to go that deep with people, right? What we really want is deep intimacy and knowledge and friendship and fellowship with someone, with persons. And it's one of the hardest things in this life, isn't it? Because of the shortness of life, because of the sinfulness of our hearts, we prefer to hide. It's a lot of work. But deep down, this is what we long for. This is what you and I long for. And right there at the front and center, when John breaks it down in a nutshell, he says, what is this all about? It's about God bringing us into perfect, eternal fellowship with one another and with him. 
eternally that we might experience the fullness of joy. That's good news. That's such good news. This is why it's gospel. For the Son of God came into the world for this purpose, to give us his very own life. The Son came that we might become sons and daughters. And John doesn't unpack it here, but most of you will know this. But as he goes on in 1 John, in the Gospel of John, in the New Testament, and in the Old Testament, astonishingly, we learn that the Son of God came into the world to make us sons and to bring us into this life, not because we deserved it. In fact, the, the way of him making us sons, what it took to make us sons, what it cost him is the giving up of his own life. He came into the world and took on flesh that he might bear our sins, that he might die the death that you and I deserve. This is an an amazing message that we have to proclaim, isn't it? And that we're hearing and that we're just passing on. Brothers and sisters and friends, maybe you don't believe today, but we as a church bear witness and we're passing on the baton. The God who made this world loves sinners. The God who made this world loves the world. And he came into the world that he might save the world. And he came into the world and took on flesh to die for your sins and my sins. To pay the penalty that we deserve so that we might have life. And he rose from the dead And he is alive at the right hand of the Father. He is with the Father again, enjoying that perfect fellowship, calling us to himself. And he sends forth his Holy Spirit. He does more than just die for us. He sends his Spirit. He sends his Word. He sends his apostles and his church into the world, preaching eternal life with the Father and bringing souls, men and women, to him and giving us life. And how do we receive this? The scripture tells us we receive it simply by receiving the apostolic witness about Jesus, this message. This message of who we are in our sins and who God is for us in Christ. Don't miss the warmth of this wonderful passage. John is just spilling over with this warmth in verse 4. I'm writing this to you that my joy, our joy, might be fulfilled. The apostles themselves have been redeemed by the word. They have joy in Christ, and yet, shockingly, their joy increases as the fellowship increases. As more people come in, it's like one step closer to heaven. I pray that we, too, would have a vision of life like this. That our joy would grow as we bear witness to Jesus Christ and call people in to come in to this life. So, the manifesto of John, the aged apostle, as he's passing the baton to the next generation, in a world that's conflicted and confused about what Christianity is, who Jesus is, who Christians are. 
we need to listen to John as he breaks it down very, very simply. Christianity is the witness of the apostles. It is the witnesses about Jesus coming into the world for the purpose of us having fellowship with God. This is so glorious. If you are not a Christian, if you are not a believer, maybe you thought you were a Christian, you realized from hearing this sermon that you've missed it. You thought it was really just about being a moral person or you know, having some vague relationship with God. We just want you to know that you are welcome to come to Jesus. There is a warm invitation. This is a table that's been set. If you recognize you're a sinner and you want to know God and have fellowship with God and life with God and have forgiveness of sins, our message to you is the same message the apostles preached, that Christ came into the world and died for us and rose from the dead. And if you believe in him, you will have this life too. And for those who are Christians this morning, I just want to encourage you this morning with what it's all about. And I want to exhort you to rejoice. If you're a believer, you possess life. You are a son and a daughter of God. And yes, this world is really tough. And one day Jesus is going to come back and complete it. And we will have forever and ever and ever fullness of joy in the presence of our Lord Jesus who has redeemed us and has saved us. Rejoice and spread the good news because the baton is in our hands now and it's our job to bear witness to these astonishing things. And why wouldn't we want to? This is the most glorious news that anyone here could even fathom. Let's bow our heads and give God thanks. Our Father in heaven, we worship you this morning. We bow our heads before you in thanksgiving and in gratitude for the things that we've just considered. Thank you, Lord, that the Apostle John wrote down these words that we read. Thank you that we have such an awesome message to hear, to encourage our souls with, to rest in and to share with others. Oh, Lord, by your Holy Spirit this morning, draw people to yourself and to your Son. Strengthen your people in the truth of the gospel. Help us to rejoice. Help us to see your heart for us and the goodness that you've given to us, Lord, in Christ and how we belong to you. Oh, Lord, help us to guard jealously the witness of the apostles. Help us not to be distracted and confused in this world, I pray. Protect our minds and our hearts, Lord, that we may cling to the testimony of Jesus, to the gospel, and that we might faithfully and boldly proclaim it in this world to the next generation. Lord, we ask these things for our good, but ultimately, Lord, for your eternal glory, for you are good and we worship you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.